Welcome back to Beyond the Bubble, the podcast that knows elections are not decided in Washington, D.C. Each week, we'll take you inside the 2020 contest in a way only our 30 newsrooms can, by talking about how the election is playing out on the ground with voters in the states that will matter. I'm Kristen Roberts, Vice President of News at McClatchy, and this week, we've taken the show on the road to Lexington, Kentucky. I'm in the Herald Leader newsroom, and by my side is one of the great political reporters in the great state of Kentucky, Dan DeRocher. Welcome to Beyond the Bubble. Yeah, thanks for having me. So are you uh, are you excited to be in Lexington? I am actually excited to be in Lexington. So far, it's been beautiful, and of course, it gives me bourbon. Yes. Yeah, so which bourbon did you try last what night? What did I try last night? I don't even remember. Caitlin, what did I try? Eagle Rare. Oh, fancy. Was it fancy? It was delicious. (laughs) Fancy enough. I I usually go with the lower tier ones. I try to find my good cheap ones that... Well, we went to a fancy restaurant, so we were trying to, you know, stay on brand. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about politics because you've got a big story here in Kentucky, and you've got a story that's actually not going away through the entire 2020 cycle. But first, I want to talk about the gubernatorial. What is your number one takeaway from election night in Kentucky this year? That people really did not like Matt Bevan. And I know that that's kind of, you know, it feels like a cop out at the national level because the way that, you know, I've I've been kind of screaming into the void at how national folks have covered this race because they've been trying to look into it and trying to discern meaning from it. And it's one of those where you really can't discern that much meaning for the Democrats because of how unique of a politician Matt Bevan was. And how uniquely disliked he was. Yes. Yeah. And and I mean, like, this can't be understated, right? Because people want to do this this tie to, to Donald Trump, right? Because Donald Trump has has a lot of similar qualities. Where and it's not, a fun story. It's a fun story. And and Donald Trump's not filtered. He's kind of this, this brash politician who's there to kind of break up the establishment. And Bevin's similar in a lot of ways. The difference is, I, I think the biggest observation is that, you know, when Donald Trump picks a fight, He's typically picking a fight with someone that his base doesn't really like, right? It's the media. It's, you know, it's it's a Washington, D.C. bureaucrat. It's not people who are in their neighborhoods and in their homes. So when Matt Bevin was picking a fight, he was picking a fight against school teachers. And everybody knows a school teacher. Everybody loves a school teacher. Everybody knows so, that was bad politics. So like how, you know, so he instantly really discredited himself and just, you know, he would never apologize and he would just double down on things. So even on the campaign trail where you would ask him like, hey, do you regret anything you said? Do you think that you could have maybe said it differently? He would just say, no, it's all the way that people have interpreted it. It's not my fault. It's their fault. And so he's placing that burden on the people. And he never really did a forgiveness tour. You're right that the national media really tried to make this about Trump. And and, and the Times in particular tried to make it about impeachment. What did they not understand? Because it seems very clear to me from a local perspective that this election was about one man. And in fact, it's not even that it's not... It's not that the Democrat won, it's that the Republican lost. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's the thing that I feel like they didn't understand is that people have the ability to separate two different people, right? They know that Donald Trump is really different than Matt Bevin. And this election wasn't, Matt, Donald Trump wasn't on the ticket, Matt Bevin was. So you can try and say that there are these outsized national factors that get people riled up. You know, I know in 2018, they were talking a lot about how the Kavanaugh thing got really got the base fired up and got them galvanized. But, you know, I can only speak to my specific election. I was covering Amy McGrath versus Andy Barr. And Andy Barr is more of this generic Republican, right? He doesn't say anything that that really angers people. So, you know, when you're looking at Trump, it's really easier to tie Andy Barr to Trump in that way because, you know, 
he's more moldable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with Matt Bevan, he's his own distinct person with his own distinct personality that has made a lot of people mad. You can't come in there and say that, oh, this is a reflection on Donald Trump when you have a very distinct person at the top of the ticket. You have to look at the rest of the ticket for that. Right? And how much are people in Kentucky paying attention to impeachment at all, especially as it relates to state politics? I, I mean, I ask people about it and people are aware of it. You know, uh, there are a lot of Trump supporters still in Kentucky, right? Uh, and, and when we look at the polling, 65% of people said that they are not for the impeachment inquiry. And that was a poll taken shortly before the election. So it's a little older now. But, you know, people would say, yeah, I, I don't really agree with impeachment, but like it's not making me mad or anything. Uh, it, because it feels like it's the same old story going on in Washington, D.C., where the Democrats are continuing to try and undermine the the president. Uh, that's the way that a lot of people kind of interpret this. It's not something that really stands out and, and seems more egregious to them. So you brought up McGrath. Nice transition. Let's <laughs> talk about McConnell. There hasn't been any really strong head-to-head polling yet between McConnell and McGrath. Morning Consult has McConnell at some horrible approval numbers, 37.50 last month, which is actually the worst of any senator in the country. And yet he's won in the past with horrible approval ratings. Is, is there any risk to Mitch McConnell this cycle? All right. So the way that I've been phrasing this, because this ties back into our conversation about the way that the national media has interpreted this, mm-hmm. right? So when, when you say, oh, this was really about Matt Bevan and Matt Bevan was unpopular, people then turn and say, look at this morning consult poll. Mitch McConnell is unpopular too. The difference between the two men is that people don't really like Mitch McConnell. You know, they're like, eh, he, whatever, he's fine. They don't really like him. But people dislike Matt Bevan. And that's a really, really different factor when you look at an election. So is Mitch McConnell vulnerable? Probably not, right? You have Donald Trump at the top of the ticket. You know, people still really love Trump. Mitch McConnell is an expert at making his opponent less popular than he is. You asked, you know, how has he won when he's been unpopular? When you go back and you look through the clippings of what he's done, he just, he makes people hate his opponent. That is Mitch McConnell playbook 101. He uses all the money that he raises and then he turns that all against his opponent. And, you know, it's to the point where I I think former Governor Steve Bashir once said that he still had nightmares about things that Mitch McConnell had said about him, that that there was an ad blaring about (laughs) something that Steve Bashir did that Mitch McConnell ran against him. So, like, Mitch McConnell and the Mitch McConnell machine is just that practiced at dragging their opponent through the mud. And that's how he wins elections. And so what is Amy McGrath going to do other than make Democrats spend their money here, right? Perhaps perhaps a poor decision on the part of Democrats, but in turn forcing Republicans to spend money in a state that they shouldn't have to. Yeah. And, you know, she's raising a ton of money. And that's and, and I think that, you know, if you had asked me in May if Andy Bashir could beat Matt Bevan, I would have said no, right? Like the factors going into that race, the home field advantage for Matt Bevan was so strong that I didn't think Andy Bashir could do it. And so I'm not going to rule out Amy McGrath right now. Um, I think that there are a lot of reasons you know, why her challenge, why it is a big challenge. I think that she got warned going into this race that, you know, it's very unlikely that she would beat Mitch McConnell. The big factor, I think, is money. And what does she do with her money, right? So she's been raising a ton of this money. She's been getting a lot of it from out of state. Can she do something that is more interesting than what all the other Democrats have done? The Democrats have just done the standard, same old playbook every time that they have run against Mitch McConnell. They've learned nothing from his previous races, and they have not tried to do anything interesting. So can she shake things up? Can she um, make people dislike Mitch McConnell the way Mitch McConnell makes people dislike his opponent? Can she do something with that with all the 
the money that she has. I don't know, because if we're looking at an unpopular guy, can she beat him into the ground and make him more unpopular? She's already on the air, you know, running advertisements way out ahead of time. I think part of that is kind of preempting any primary attacks because, you know, she definitely stumbled out of the gate and people are thinking about running against her. But I... I think that if I'm sitting here saying like Amy McGrath's only chance is to wow us or do something crazy with her money, then I, I think that answers your question. It's a for long you. shot. It's <laughs> yeah. a long shot. Yeah, it's a long shot. Like, do people here like her? Some people absolutely love her, right? So during the during the the 2018 campaign, there were people who came away and they were in love with Amy McGrath. They thought she was the best thing in the world. You know, people were reforming uh, Democratic women's parties because they were so inspired by McGrath's uh, activism that luster has faded. Uh, and so it has gotten to the point where... Why? I think it's one of those, there's a little bit of fatigue. She's basically been running for... Years now. Years now. And she's a military person. And and as a military person, she has sort of a, a gruff persona. And she's kind of got this attitude where she's she never really courted the Democrat establishment in the way that a lot of candidates do, right? So I, I was reading his, you know, I try to read up on, on candidates, and I was reading up on how Mitch McConnell made his first run back in 1984. And one of the things that he did before he announced in order to shut everybody out in the primary was he went and he got the most important Republican players in every single county or all the important counties in Kentucky to back him. Amy McGrath never really did that, right? So she focused on Lexington, and she was popular in Lexington, but she never really courted Louisville. And so when she got into this race, Louisville had been seeing all of these ads that Andy Barr had run about how Amy McGrath is the most liberal person in Kentucky. She's so liberal. And then they started hearing what she actually says. And Amy McGrath does not run as a liberal. Amy McGrath runs as a moderate. And so there, there was this, this cognitive dissonance where they're like, wait, where is this liberal that we thought we were getting that, that Lexington loved so much? And it you know, is this lack of understanding that she has never really been that liberal. Um, you know, she's liberal maybe by Kentucky standards. She's not Rocky Atkins, but she's still not a, a major progressive. She's not Bernie Sanders. Yeah, she's not Bernie Sanders. And so Louisville really is where it seems like there's a lot of dislike for her. I think a lot of Louisville progressives are tired of putting up with moderate candidates. They want a true progressive. And, you know, when the Democratic Party keeps losing, aside from Andy Bashir, uh, when the Democratic Party keeps losing, is that argument that maybe a true progressive needs to run and you just need to try it? Could that work? I mean, a lot of progressives are kind of in that boat of, okay, it's time to try something new. That's exactly what's happening at the national level, too. And that's just, yep. that's just the problem the Democrats are having internally. <laughs> All right, let's shift. I want to get into the part of the show where I always ask reporters to tell me something I don't know. So please tell me something I don't know. Yeah, so we were talking about Amy McGrath's unpopularity, and that kind of ties into this thing that I've recently learned. So her campaign you know, in the midst of Andy Bashir's gubernatorial race, they, they got criticized a little bit early for coming in too soon, coming in in the middle of the gubernatorial race. Um, and so they were raising money from out of state. They weren't doing calls to big donors in Kentucky. And it turns out that they actually transferred $200,000 to the Kentucky Democratic Party to help the get out the vote effort for Andy Bashir. And so, you know, that's a money transfer that's kind of boring. But it is actually interesting when you think about how she's courting the, you know, the, the Democratic establishment. If she's trying to shut out a primary when she's got people like Matt Jones or or uh, Rocky Adkins, who's the House Minority Leader, yeah. and even now Charles Booker, who's a freshman representative, is exploring a run as, as a true progressive, she, how is she shutting them down? And one of those ways is by building credibility in the party. Andy Bashir is now the face of the Democratic Party. He's the last man standing in Frankfurt. And you have, you know, for a long time, the Democratic Party was factionalized. You had the Lundergan faction and the Bashir faction. The Lundergan faction just tumbled. 
Uh, Alison Lundergan Grimes is in a lot of trouble. So now can McGrath come up and take a new aspect of, of this faction? Can she start building the party out on her own? Can she start, or is she working with Andy Bashir? You know, there's it's the type of thing that goes on behind the scenes that the way that power is made in Kentucky politics and with the Democratic Party at a place where it is really, really weak, it is ripe for McGrath to come in and start to influence and start to shape the party in her image rather than Andy Bashir's image. That answer is exactly why everybody needs to pay attention to local political reporters. They just have their finger on the pulse in a way that the national political reporters simply can't. Give our listeners the name, uh, the Twitter handle of a local reporter they should be paying attention to in the 2020 cycle. Who should they care about? Who knows things that other people so don't? So my, my, my dearly beloved colleague, John Cheeves, does not have his own personal Twitter account. John drives me crazy <laughs> that he doesn't have his own Twitter. It drives me crazy. Yes. John, it drives me crazy. <laughs> but he's very, very funny. Uh, and he uh, tweets from the at BG politics handle. And, you know, John Tell Cheeves, people what BG politics is. Uh, that's blue, bluegrass politics. We used to have a blog back when blogs were a thing. The blog stopped happening. The Twitter account stayed the same. It's a brand now. There's like 30,000 followers. Um, so, yeah. So John tweets from BG politics. He does a little arrow JC after his tweets. Jack Bramer also tweets from it. And my editor, John Stamper. But but John Sheaves is the funny one. He's an investigative reporter and he loves doing policy deep dives. So, so he automatically will get you involved in any of the policy going on in Frankfurt. But he also did a massive series on Mitch McConnell. So if you heard the NPR embedded thing, they were they were building a lot on John Sheaves' reporting of how McConnell operates and how the McConnell machine operates. So he's got that insight. He's got the humor. He's, he's a guy that's absolutely worth following. I am going to stick with Kentucky, too. I'm going with Bill E. Stepp, also of the Herald Leader. He covers coal country probably better than anybody else, and he understands all the politics around that, which is going to, again, be important when we get into the later stage of the 2020 cycle. So I know we're all about the Herald Leader today, but I'll tell you, it's a fantastic politics team. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you to you, Dan, for joining me. And thank you to our producer here in Lexington, Caitlin Stroh, and to Marcus Dorsey. Thank you also to our producer in D.C., Jeremy Sheeler. And of course, thank you to our listeners. Check us out wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. Talk to you next week.